Good evening, good evening, good evening, everybody, and uh, welcome to another edition of Catholic Reflections. What the mass readings mean for us in our daily lives. Uh, tonight, I'm going to ruffle some feathers. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to ruffle some feathers because I'm talking about Mary, the Blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of Jesus. Uh, today, we celebrate His Assumption into Heaven. And uh, when I talk about the Assumption of Mary, I'm talking about she was assumed soul and body into heaven because Christ couldn't let you know his mother see the decay of death because death is a uh, a byproduct of original sin which we as Catholics believe that in order to carry the 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 second person of the blessed trinity she had to be exempt from so that was her immaculate conception is where she was exempt from sin at the moment of her being so, uh, like I said, I'm going to ruffle some feathers because I, I am going to talk more about Mary. I'm not going to do the, da- the daily reading. It comes from Mark. I think it's Mark 5. If you want to read it, by all means, go ahead. But I'm not actually going to focus on that today. So what I am going to focus on, though, is Mary. So let's go ahead and read our, our, our mass readings. <clears throat> God's temple in heaven was opened. And the Ark of His Covenant could be seen in the temple. A great sign appeared in the sky, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. She was with child and wailed aloud in pain, as she labored to give birth. Then another sign appeared in the sky. It was a huge red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. On its head were seven diadems. Its tail swept away a third of the stars in the sky and hurled them down to the earth. Then the dragon stood before the woman about to give birth, to devour her child when she gave birth. She gave birth to a son, a male child, destined to rule all the nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God and his throne. The woman herself fled into the desert where she had a place prepared by God. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have salvation and power come, and the kingdom of our God, and the authority of his anointed one. Here's your responsorial psalm. The queen stands at your right hand arrayed in gold. The queen takes your place at your right hand in gold of Orpher. The the queen stands at your right hand arrayed in gold. Hear, O daughter, and see, turn your ear. Forget your people and your father's house. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. So shall the king desire your beauty, for he is your lord. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. They are borne in with gladness and joy. They enter the palace of the king. The queen stands at your right hand, arrayed in gold. Here's your second reading. Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead also through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ, then comes the end. When he hands over the kingdom to his God and Father, when he has destroyed every sovereign, every sovereignty, and every authority and power, 
for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for he subjected everything under his feet. Alleluia, alleluia, Mary is taken up to heaven, a chorus of angels exalts. Alleluia, alleluia. The reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. Mary set out and traveled to the hill country in haste to the town of Judea, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's reading, the infant leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth, filled with the Holy Spirit, cried out in a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how does this happen to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For at the moment of the sound that your greeting reached my ears, the infant in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed are you who believed, and that, that what was spoken to you by the Lord would be fulfilled. And Mary said, My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm, and has scattered the proud in their conceit. He has cast down the mighty from their thrones, and has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and to his children forever. Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. Reading of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So, like I said, I'm going to ruffle some feathers today because I'm talking about Mary. Talking about Mary. Now, let me, before I explain the Catholic point of view, we're going to make a comparison. Protestants do not look at Mary as as as, as much in regard as Catholics do, as we do. They do not think that she was ever virgin. She, they don't believe in the perpetual virginity that Catholics that we do. They think that she had other sons and that her the brothers that are talked about in that are talked about in John and the Gospels, they're considered half brothers because they think that Mary had other sons and that type of thing. That's not the case. Okay? Because what we as Catholics believe about the perpetual virginity is she was not defiled is the term that we use. Defiled is in she was never had anything inserted in her. Her womb was made holy and sanctified by the Holy Spirit so that nothing unclean could enter her. Okay? Nothing unclean could enter her. So, therefore, we believe that she was a virgin during, before, during, and after the birth of Christ. She remained a virgin her whole life. And this idea of this perpetual virginity, it shows the fact that we honor her as, as only having the one son, Christ. Now, when you, you know, you could go into the translation aspect, but I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay with the simple stuff. But let's go ahead and read Revelations. Let's go through Revelations. I want to go through these readings really, really um, accurately. <clears throat> so God's temple in heaven 
was open and the Ark of His Covenant could be seen in the temple. A great sign appeared in the sky, woman clothed the sun, moon under her feet, crowned with twelve stars. Twelve stars are what? The twelve tribes of Israel. Okay? She was with child and wailed aloud in pain as she labored to give birth. So this is Mary. We're talking about Mary here. We're talking about the Blessed Virgin. We're talking about Mary. That she's with child and she's in pain. She's about to give birth to him. And then now we have a dragon. What is this dragon? This dragon is Satan. So what happens is he takes some of these stars in the sky and hurls them down to earth with his tail. Okay? And now what happens is the dragon is standing before the woman about to give birth. And she's going to try to eat this kid, this child as soon as he's delivered from the womb. Okay? going to try and, and devour this child as soon as it comes from the womb. But what happens is she gave birth to a son. A male child destined to rule all nations with an iron rod. Her child was caught up to God in his throne, and the woman herself fled into the desert where she had a place preserved, prepared by God. So we obviously see that this child is Christ. Obviously, we can, we can tell that this is Christ. When we talk about somebody ruling all the nations with an iron rod and, and being caught up to God, we obviously know that's Christ. So it only makes sense that the woman that we're talking about is Mary. Okay, so this is where this is a vision. This is the vision that St. John had of revelation of the new heaven and the new earth. Now, we can go into uh, reading to 1 Corinthians and, and we talk about this idea about death. And we talk about death and resurrection. And... To give you some insight as to what that, you know, to give you some insight, we talk about death because death is a byproduct of sin, as I said earlier. Death is a byproduct of sin, for general sin. And we know that Mary was free from sin her whole life. That was a special grace given to her by God that allowed her to be free from original sin her whole life. That is a supernatural grace given by God at the Immaculate Conception, at the moment of her conception. So, what you're, what you're seeing here is that when Christ, when Christ went to heaven... When he, when he, when he went, when he, when he went, when he went to heaven, he ascended into heaven, and what, and then he, you know, his mother had no stain of original sin. She was sinless her whole life. That's Catholic theology. She was sinless her whole life. And so, why would the Blessed Virgin Mary the mother of our Lord, who was sinless her whole life, have to face death. With death being a byproduct of sin, and she was sinless, why would she have to face death? That's where the assumption comes from. Okay? That's where the assumption comes from. The assumption comes from the fact that Mary was sinless. And so therefore, knowing that she was sinless, she didn't have to deal with death. Because death is a byproduct of sin. And so, you see this idea of, of St. Paul talking to the Corinthians about resurrection and that Christ is the first fruits. 
and those who have fallen asleep, death came through man, resurrection also came through man, uh, and Christ all be brought to life, Christ the first fruits, then those who belong, and then the end. And so, it, you get the idea of the resurrection and the assumption. Now, let me read to you the Magnificent. That's what Mary's prayer of Thanksgiving is called, is the Magnificent. Also, if anybody's noticed that uh, where I do the Hail Mary usually, you see where this comes from. Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. When you say the Hail Mary, you say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Comes from Luke chapter 1. Verses 39 through 56. You wonder where we get some of our prayers from. It's right there in the Bible. It's right there in the Bible. So, that's the first thing I want to mention to you. Okay? Now. Now, here's the Magnificat. This is Mary's prayer. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. Now, when you get to this point, from this day, all generations will call me blessed. This is not her being prideful. Okay? This is not her being prideful. But what you're going to see later on is that the disciples had her as a companion. When they were going out and doing their missionary work, the disciples had her as a companion. And once she was assumed into heaven, her intercession was necessary. And it was powerful because Christ always answers his mother. Whatever his mother asks. Look at the wedding at Cana where she asked him to turn the water into wine. That's a great example. So, from this day, all generations will call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their consight and cast down the mighty from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. We've got to remember something. Mary is a simple girl. Simple Nazarene living in Nazareth at the time, betrothed to Joseph the carpenter. And she's really a simple Jewish woman. A simple Jewish woman. That's where, when you talk about the Magnificat, where we talk about this idea of the lowly, the lowly handmaid. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. So again, you're seeing here she's making reference to the Old Testament covenant. She's making reference to the Old Testament covenant, which was where Christ, where God said he would send a savior. Buttons, come on. Get up here and go to sleep. Sorry about that. That was my dog. Um, so you're seeing this, this that she is referencing the the Old Testament, where we see that God made a covenant 
that he would send a savior. So, now that I have kind of given you an idea about why we talk about the Assumption of Mary, I actually want to talk about why Mary really is so important in our in, in the Catholic faith. First, I need to talk about intercessory prayer. Okay? And to do that, I need to go to Thessalonians. So let's go to Thessalonians. I believe it's in Thessalonians. Give me a second here. I gotta remember what it is. But there, there are certain parts of the Bible where we talk about intercessory prayer. And, and, and one of them, I believe it's Thessalonians. Let me see if I can find it. Uh, give me a second here. I don't know if it's 1 Thessalonians or 2 Thessalonians. We see Paul talking about intercessory prayer, and he says that we should be praying for one another. That's the idea of intercessory prayer. And so you know how we, we pray for everybody? We, we pray for everyone? And so that's the idea here, is that we are just praying, we're asking for prayer. And the early church does this. You see it really early in the, early in the church. And what I find interesting is that, you know, Protestants do this. They have, you know, they pray for each other, but they have never thought that praying to the saints was ever necessary. They they never made the connection that, you know, they might be able to do something. So... what i i want to uh, talk about also what i need to what i need to make known here is that oh excuse me excuse me about that but um we need to talk about the communion of the church communion of saints the communion of saints is made up of the people on earth and the people in heaven so there are those of us that we, on earth, that we pray for each other. But then we have the saints in heaven. And what we believe about the saints in heaven is that they are still active. They're not just buying, you know, their, whatever they're not buying in their time. But what they're doing is they're watching over the church they're praying with and for the church on earth and there are plenty of uh, ways that you see this 
And what I I want to make note to turn this back to Mary is she prayed with and for the apostles. Okay, you notice when you go to the the um, bringing down a fire, you're going to see that Mary was there. Mary was there with the with the disciples, and she was praying with and for. She was praying with and for the disciples. Okay, like I said, she was praying with. And for the disciples. Now, to give you a, a better understanding of this, let me actually look up for you some saint some saint quotes on Mary and why she's important. Let me see here. Crap. So here you go, Saint quotes on the Blessed Virgin. So here are a couple that I like. So here's one. We never give more honor to Jesus than when we honor his mother. And we honor her simply and solely to honor him all the more perfectly. We go to her only as a way leading to the goal we seek, Jesus, her son. The greatest saints, that's uh, St. Louis Marie de Montfort, the greatest saints, those richest in grace and virtues, will be the most assertive in praying to the blessed, most blessed virgin, looking up to her as the perfect model to imitate and as a powerful helper to assist them. Mary, having cooperated in our redemption with so much glory to God and so much love for us, our Lord ordained that no one shall obtain salvation except through her intercession. So, what you're seeing in these first couple of quotes is this idea that we don't pray to Mary just to pray to Mary. Mary always leads us to her son. That is what her operation is. Her operation is always tied with that of Christ, and that is to lead us to him. Men do not fear a powerful hostile army as the powers of hell fear the name and protection of Mary. To give worthy praise to the Lord's mercy, we unite ourselves with your Immaculate Mother, for then our hymn will be more pleasing to you, because she is chosen from among men and angels. Through her, as through a pure crystal, your mercy was passed on to us. Through her, man becomes pleasing to God. Through her, streams of grace flowed down upon us. Never be afraid of loving the Blessed Virgin too much. You can never love her more than Jesus did. Before, by yourself, you couldn't. Now you've turned to Our Lady, and with her, how easy. In dangers, in doubts, in difficulties, think of Mary. Call upon Mary. Let not her name depart from your lips. Never suffer it to leave your heart, and that you may obtain the assistance of her prayer. Neglect not to walk in her footsteps with her for guide. You shall never go astray. While invoking her, you shall never lose heart. So long as she is in your mind, 
you are safe from deception. While she holds your hand, you cannot fall. Under her protection, you have nothing to fear. If she walks before you, you shall not grow weary. If she shows you favor, you will reach the goal. O sinner, be not discouraged, but have recourse to Mary in all your necessities. Call her to your assistance, for such is the divine will that she should help in every kind of necessity. Mary, give me your heart, so beautiful, so pure, so immaculate, your heart so full of love and humility that I may be able to receive Jesus in the bread of life and love him as you love him and serve him in the distressing guise of the poor. So, we, you're going to hear this idea of her immaculate heart. Okay, her immaculate heart is, the, is her heart. It is pierced because a sword... Uh, I think it was Saint, uh, was, uh, I can't remember the saint when they were in Jerusalem, when Mary and Joseph were in the temple, but they said a sword will pierce your heart. So we talk about Mary's sorrowful, immaculate heart. That is the sorrow of seeing her son crucified. And the only way to console that heart is to console her. And we ask for the grace for her her for, for for her grace to come to us because of how her humility. She not once did she give credit for her own doing. Not once did she give credit for her own doing. It was all God. It was all God's doing. If you invoke the Blessed Virgin when you are tempted, she will come at once to you help, and Satan will leave you. When we were little, we kept close to our mother in a dark alley, or dogs barked at us. Now, when we feel temptation of the flesh, we should run to the side of our mother in heaven. By realizing how she is to us, and by means of aspirations, she will defend us and lead us to the light. The Immaculate alone has from God the promise of victory over Satan. She seeks souls that will consecrate themselves entirely to her, that will become on in her hands forceful instruments for the defeat of Satan and the spread of God's kingdom. If you ever feel distressed during your day, call upon Our Lady. Just say this simple prayer. Mary, Mother of Jesus, please be a mother to me now. I must admit... This prayer has never failed me. Love Our Lady, and she will obtain abundant grace to help you conquer in your daily struggle. Have confidence. Return. Invoke Our Lady, and you will be faithful. So your strength is failing you. Why don't you tell your mother about it? Mother, call her with a loud voice. She is listening to you. She sees you in danger, perhaps, and she, your holy mother Mary, offers you, along with the grace of her son, the refuge of her arms, the tenderness of her embrace, and you will find yourself with added strength for the new battle. All the sins of your life seem to be rising up against you. Don't give up hope. On the contrary, call your holy mother Mary with the faith and abandonment of a child. She will bring peace to your soul. May I give you some advice for you to put into practice daily? 
When your heart makes you feel these low, cra- low cravings, slay slowly to the Immaculate Virgin. Look on me with compassion. Don't abandon me. Don't abandon me, my mother. And recommend this prayer to others. There's so many different saint quotes on Mary. Because you can see how important she was. Now, if that does not convince you, let's go to the catechism. The catechism on Mary and why she's important. So this is Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. Since the Virgin Mary's role in the mystery of Christ and in the Spirit has been treated, it is fitting now to consider her place in the mystery of the Church. The Virgin Mary is acknowledged and honored as being truly the Mother of God and of the Redeemer. She is clearly the Mother of the members of Christ. Since she has, by her charity, joined in bringing about the birth of believers in the church who are members of its head. Mary, Mother of Christ, Mother of the Church. Okay, so this idea that the, that this, this, is, uh, this paragraph is talking about. Note, I'm using the compendium version of the catechism. So the paragraphs are a little smaller and they're not in as much detail as the, the regular um, readings. But... This idea is that she helps bring people to Christ. Okay? Joined in bringing about birth of believers in the church. So, again, we, like I said earlier, she is put as a... She, her mission is closely tied to that of Christ. Okay? Closely, closely tied to that of Christ. Now... If we continue, Mary's motherhood with regard to the church. This is where I want to talk about why she's so important. Holy united with her son. This is a paragraph 964. Mary's role in the church is inseparable from her union with Christ and flows directly from it. This union of the mother with the son at the work of salvation is made manifest from the time of Christ's virgil conception up to his death. In is made manifest above all at the hour of his passion. Thus the Blessed Virgin advanced in her pilgrimage of faith and faithfully preserved in her union with her son unto the cross. There she stood, in keeping with the divine plan, enduring with her only begotten son the intensity of his sufferings, joining herself with his sacrifice in her mother's heart, and lovingly consenting to the immolation of this victim, born of her, to be given by the same Christ Jesus, dying on the cross as a mother to his disciple, with these words, Woman, behold your son. After her son's ascension, Mary added, aided the beginning of the church by her prayers in her association with the apostles and several women. We also see Mary by her prayers imploring the gift of the Spirit who had already overshadowed her in the Annunciation. Finally, the Immaculate Virgin, preserved free from all stain of original sin, when the course of her earthly life was finished, was taken up body and soul into heavenly glory and exalted by the Lord as queen over all things, so that she might be there more fully confirmed to her son, the Lord of lords and conquerors sin and death. 
The Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary is a singular participation in her son's resurrection and an anticipation of the resurrection of other Christians. In giving birth, you kept your virginity. In your domination, you did not leave the world, O Mother of God, but were joined to the source of life. You conceived the living God, and by your prayers will deliver our souls from death. 967. By her complete adherence to the Father's will, to his Son's redemptive work, and to every prompting of the Holy Spirit, the Virgin Mary is the Church's model of faith and charity. Thus she is a preeminent and holy, unique member of the Church. Indeed, she is the exemplary realization of the Church. Her role in relation to the church and to all humans goes still further. In a wholly singular way, she cooperated by her obedience, faith, hope, and burning charity in the Savior's work of redemption, of restoring supernatural life to souls. For this reason, she is mother to us in the order of grace. This motherhood of Mary in the order of grace continues uninterrupted from the consent which she gave she loyally gave at the Annunciation, and which she sustained without wavering beneath the cross until the eternal fulfillment of all the elect. Taken up to heaven, she did not lay aside this saving office, but by her manifold intercession continues to bring us the gifts of eternal salvation. Therefore, the Blessed Virgin is invoked in the Church under the titles of Advocate, Helper, Benefactress, and Mediatrix. Mary's function as mother of men is in no way obscures or diminishes this unique mediation of Christ, but rather shows its power. But the Blessed Virgin's statutory influence on men flows from the superabundance of the merits of Christ, rests on his mediation, depends entirely on it, and draws all his power from it. No creature could ever be counted along with the incarnate word and redeemer but just as the priesthood of christ is shared in various ways both by his ministers and the faithful and as one goodness of god is radiant in different ways among his people among his creatures so also the unique mediation of the redeemer does not exclude but rather gives rise to a manifold cooperation which is but a sharing in this one source so then you can talk about this idea we go back to if we read our when we read our gospel we see that this idea that all generations will call me blessed so this is 971 this explains that verse the church's devotion to the blessed virgin is intrinsic to christian worship the church rightly honors the blessed virgin with special devotion from the most ancient times the blessed virgin has been honored with the title of mother of god to those whose protection the faithful apply in all their dangers and needs. This very special devotion differs essentially from the adoration which is given to the incarnate word and equally to the Father and the Holy Spirit, and greatly fosters this adoration. The liturgical feast dedicated to the Mother of God and the Marian prayers, such as the Rosary, an epitome of the whole gospel, expresses this devotion to the Virgin Mary. After speaking of the church, her origin, mission, and destiny, we can find no better way to conclude than by looking to Mary. In her, we contemplate what the church already is in her mystery, on her own pilgrimage of faith, and when she will be in the homeland at the end of her journey. There, in the glory of the most holy and undivided trinity, in the communion of all the saints, the church is awaited by one who she venerates as mother of her Lord and as her own mother. 
In the meantime, the mother of Jesus, in the glory which she possesses in body and soul in heaven, is the image and beginning of the church as it is to be perfected in the world to come. Likewise, she shines forth on earth until the day of the Lord shall come, a sign of certain hope and comfort to the pilgrim people of God. So, I'd say, does that, you know, that's a pretty simple idea. And, 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 like, and like we see in the catechism, we, Mary is entirely dependent on her son for these graces. Okay, Mary is entirely dependent on her son for these graces. Now, when we talk about the idea of worship and all these other things, we don't worship her. Worship is due to only God, to the Trinity. We venerate her because of her importance in history. And not only that, Christ employs it to us because what does he say to the disciple woman behold your son son behold your mother so he knows that he's leaving us and he wants to leave us a mother that's where mary comes in she's mother of the church she aided the church in her prayers she has constantly been there for the church so no matter what the church may be going through it's constantly in her protection and not only that but she has the influence of being the mother of christ so when we ask christ for something uh, i'm sorry when we ask mary to intercede for us for something we know that christ is more likely to answer it because remember the wedding at cana is a great example of this now i'm going to turn the tables a little bit I'm going to do something that I haven't done, but we're going to look at Protestant objections to Mary, and I'm going to try to debunk them for you. I'm getting there. Okay, here we go. Ten objections to Mary. Here we go. Okay, so here we go. Objection one. Mary was just a regular girl with nothing special about her. Don't make her more of... Make more of her than God did. Okay, first of all, God set her apart. God set her apart for a reason. He sanctified her so that she might be unstained. Because remember, Jesus is God. He's the second person of the Blessed Trinity. You don't want something that is pure to be in an unpure space. That's like saying you're going to put something that's clean in a place that's dirty. Would you do that? Would you put something that's incredibly clean, would you put it in a dirty bathroom? No. You want to put it in a place that's clean and that's set apart. That is what that means. Okay? Now, also, let's keep in mind 
that this I, let's keep in mind that these are objections based solely on scripture. Okay? So let's look at these scriptures. You go to Revelation 12. Revelation 12, we just read, it talks about Mary. Okay? Now, go to 3.15. The woman is not a spur-of-the-moment concept. God sees time as we see space all at once. Okay, 3.15. Let's go to Genesis 3.15, and let's read. Let us read Genesis 3.15. I will put enmities between you and the woman, between your offspring and your her offspring. She will crush your head, and you will lie in wait for her heel. So again, we see here that he is talking about the Blessed Virgin Mary. This is a foreshadowing of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And what you're going to notice about this verse, which I think they failed to mention, is that there's this struggle. Mary is constantly interceding for us to Christ. And her goal is that of Christ. It is the salvation of the world. And God has set her apart over anybody, any other woman. He could have picked any other woman, but he chose Mary. So if you go back to this idea that Mary was just a girl and, you know, nothing of any importance, you are devaluing why she was chosen and from the lineage. Remember, he says, from the house of David will come the Savior. Well, you see, the house of David's invoked because Mary is from the house of David. So you see what happens here. He does everything for a reason. Okay, now, what's the next verse they have for us? <clears throat> Isaiah 7-4. Let's go to Isaiah 7-4. Alright, Isaiah 7-4. And you shall say to him, See to it that you are silent. Do not be afraid and have no dread in your heart over two tales of these firebrands, nearly experienced, which are the wrath of fury of rising king of Syria and of the son of Ramon. Okay. Okay, what else do we have here? Go to Micah 5.2.3. So go to Micah real quick. Go to three. For this reason, thus says the Lord, Behold, I devise an evil against this family from which you will not steal away your necks, and you will not walk in arrogance because this is a most wicked time. Oh, Micah 5 2 3. Okay. I'm sorry, Micah 5 2 3. And you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, are little one among the thousands of Judea. For you will go forth, he shall be ruled in Israel, and his landing place has been set from the beginning from the days of eternity. Because of this, he will provide for them, even until the time which he who bears him gives birth. And the remnant of his brothers will be converted to the sons of Israel. Okay, I want to mention something that they kind of contradict themselves here. We talk about this idea that 
that they they mention here that uh, you know that there's no mention of her again the woman who bears him gives birth where again we're talking about mary it's funny what they're trying to do because they're failing because you see constantly i've seen it already two times that we mentioned the woman Christ even says the woman or woman and it's not a sign of you know you know belittling that's not what it is it is more a sign of respect because of the femininity that us women have okay all right so let's continue on let's see what else they have John nineteen twenty six through twenty seven. So let's go to John nineteen. So we gotta go to the New Testament here. John nineteen. Twenty six and twenty seven. Therefore, when Jesus had seen his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing near, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Next he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple accepted her as his own. Again, they're contradicting themselves because you're seeing that Mary is given as the mother of our, of the church and therefore our mother. So I don't understand exactly what they're trying to do because they're just contradicting themselves at this point. Okay. Now go to Galatians 4.4. 4. Go to Galatians 4.4. 4. But when the fullness of time arrived, God sent his son, formed from a woman, formed under the law. Formed from a woman. Again, you see this idea of Mary. Again, you see the term woman often. That's, again, another reference to Mary. So I understand what they're doing. Okay, so they kind of messed up on that one. So let's get on to the next one. Mary was born in sin, and she sinned throughout her life just like everyone else did. This objection uses Roman 3, 2 that says all have sinned, and 1 John 1, 6 that says if, say, we are without sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. All means everyone except Jesus. The problem we face here is that there are other scriptures that imply the opposite, and there are evangelical doctrines believe the opposite. First, these verses do not refer to original sin, okay, but sin to be committed willfully or by omission. Second, to properly understand scripture, all of scripture must be considered as true and doctrine devised that allows for all scripture and doesn't exclude some. So we must consider passages like Mark 1, 5 that says people of all Judea and all Jerusalem are going to be right. Okay. So, Again, you see this idea that we, you know, that people are objecting, you know, they're thinking that, you know, all people sinned, so therefore Mary sinned as well. Actually, no, because of the space, the special graces that Christ gave to her, she was protected from original sin. I will say that again. The graces given to her, the very special graces given to her by God, who alone knows how, she was protected from original sin. Okay? Now, let's see what other objection is. 
Mary is not the mother of God, and we shouldn't call her that. Okay, again, it's a simple idea. Yes, she actually is the mother of God. She gave birth to Christ, therefore she is the mother of God. Not too hard. Mary was not assumed into heaven. So this again, we, we let me read this to you. This is this is answering the objection, and it says the church believes Mary first died and then was assumed into heaven. There is nothing in Scripture that counters this traditional claim, and in fact, there is evidence if you see Revelations twelve one through two that John sees Mary, whom he cared for until her death, bodily in heaven. Okay, so again, if you go to if you go to Revelations twelve one through two. Which we just read this mo- this this morning. You go to Revelations twelve one through two, and a great sign appeared in heaven: a woman clothed with the sun, moon under her feet, and on her head crowned dress. And being with child, she cried out while giving birth, and she was suffering in order to give birth. Again, John attributes this to Mary. So again, you see this idea that Mary was assumed into heaven. Okay. Now, what's the other objection that we talk about? We should not be praying to dead people in heaven. There is one intercessor, and that is Jesus Christ. And we should not be worshiping anyone but God. Now, look at what we're saying here. Matthew 22, verses 31 through 32. Jesus says, Have you read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He's not a God of the living, but of the dead. You are quite wrong. The prayers of the saints fill golden bowls that are presented before Christ, the one in the intercessor. So again, you go to Revelations and you're going to... Okay, let's just go and read the... Let's read it. So Revelations 5.8. Revelations 5.8. Alright, so go to Revelations 5.8, and let's actually read that verse in context. And when he had opened the book, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each having stringed instruments as well as golden bowls full of fragrances, which are the prayers of the saints. Read that again. The prayers of the saints. Explain to me how that is not intercessory prayer. And explain to me then how we are not supposed to pray to Mary. When John in Revelation specifically sees that. Alright, I'm going to go ahead and stop this here. This is part one of Mary and I will be doing another one shortly. So hold on, we'll be right back.